Would the U.S. defend Taiwan if China invaded the island? Yes. Biden giving his most explicit statement so far. The Pope says he's ready to go to China. This as a secret deal between Beijing and the Vatican is due for renewal. Another American general labeling China as the U.S.'s biggest threat, this time involving the Space Force. Starbucks coffee with an ambitious expansion plan, planning to grow its stores in China despite widespread lockdowns. And 27 dead in southwest China. A bus accident is triggering pushback from locals against COVID-19 mandates. Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Chenny Wu, in for Tiffany Meyer. President Biden says U.S. forces would defend Taiwan if China tries to invade. He made the statement on Sunday in an interview with 60 Minutes on CBS. This is his most explicit statement so far on the issue. Here's more. Taiwan makes their own judgments about their independence. We are not moving, we're not encouraging their being independent. We're not, let, that's their decision. But would U.S. forces defend the island? Yes, if in fact there was an unprecedented attack. So unlike Ukraine, to be clear, sir, U.S. forces, U.S. men and women, would defend Taiwan in the event of a Chinese invasion? Yes. However, the White House said after the interview that U.S. policy hasn't changed. That policy says Washington wants to see Taiwan's status resolved peacefully, but doesn't say whether U.S. forces might be sent in response to a Chinese attack. Taiwan's foreign ministry expressed sincere gratitude to Biden today. That was for, in their words, affirming the U.S. government's rock-solid promise of security to Taiwan. Biden made a similar comment at a news conference in Tokyo in May. He was also asked if he was willing to become involved militarily to defend Taiwan if China invaded. He said yes. The White House also walked back that comment with a response that U.S. policy has not changed. The U.S. has long stuck to a policy of strategic ambiguity, refusing to clarify whether it would respond militarily to an attack on Taiwan. The statement from Sunday angered China. It lodged what it called stern representations with the United States and accused Biden of sending so-called wrong signals to Taiwan. The European Parliament passed a bill 424 to 14 on Thursday, condemning Beijing for its live fire drill in the Taiwan Strait. The lawmaking body urged Beijing not to destabilize security in the region. It further called on the European Union to boost its ties to Taiwan. Leaders and royalty from across the world gathered in London on Monday to mourn Queen Elizabeth, Britain's longest-serving monarch. One of them was China's number two official, Wang Qishan, serving as a special envoy for Chinese leader Xi Jinping. Wang joined some 500 other foreign officials at the ceremony. Wang's face mask stood out during the event. COVID-19-driven restrictions have widely loosened across Europe, while China is holding firm to its zero-COVID-19 policy, its rules making wearing masks mandatory. Wang also viewed the coffin of Queen Elizabeth the day before in London's Westminster Hall. This after a media report last week said China's official delegation would be barred from attending the vigil. 
Some British lawmakers had raised concerns about inviting representatives from China. Several UK lawmakers were sanctioned by Beijing for criticizing human rights abuses in the Xinjiang region, an area the Uyghur ethnic group calls East Turkestan. Chinese leader Xi Jinping was in Kazakhstan last week, the same time as the Pope. When asked about a potential meeting with Xi, the Pope said he didn't have any news about this, but is always ready to go to China. In response, a spokesperson from China's foreign ministry said Beijing appreciates the Pope's goodwill, but noted there was no free time on Xi's schedule. Xi had traveled to Kazakhstan for a meeting with leaders there, while the Pope was there for a state visit. Meanwhile, a controversial deal between Beijing and the Vatican is due for renewal. A Vatican delegation recently traveled to China to discuss the deal, and Holy See officials expect to extend it. The deal gives the Pope authority to appoint bishops in China. It also allows Chinese Catholics to recognize the Pope as the leader of the Universal Church. Prior to the deal, Beijing appointed bishops on its own. It also didn't allow Chinese Catholics to recognize Rome's authority. China is home to about 12 million Catholics. They're split into two groups, state-run and underground. Before the deal, state-run associations rejected the Pope's authority, while underground Catholics recognized it and have often faced persecution for it. But critics consider the Vatican's deal with Beijing a sellout to the communist regime. In 2020, then-Secretary of State Mike Pompeo called on the Vatican to abandon the deal. He said the human rights conditions for Christians in China got worse after it was signed. He cited an example of a Chinese Catholic who was beaten and taken into custody for refusing to join the state-run church. Fast forward to today, the Chinese Communist Party is tightening its grip on Catholic churches. In August, police raided house churches in several provinces, including Beijing. An expert says the Pope is in a difficult position when it comes to spreading religion in China. Operating a religion globally is that uh, the religion always has to be somewhat, uh, you know, has to, has to work with the state. And when you have a state like a totalitarian China, um, you have to work with them more than you have to work with them in a place that observes freedom of religion and um, where there's lots of civil society activity like in the democracies. Last month, a top political advisor in the Chinese Communist Party met with leadership from two state-sanctioned Catholic organizations. The advisor Wang Yang urged them to firmly uphold the Communist Party's leadership and push Catholicism to adapt to socialist society. Next, we turn our attention to space. U.S. Space Force Lieutenant General B. Chance Saltzman says China is Washington's biggest threat in the space sector. He's the nominee set to lead the Space Force. In a hearing, he said, quote, the Chinese are aggressively pursuing capabilities that can disrupt, degrade, and ultimately even destroy our satellite capabilities and disrupt our ground infrastructure. Saltzman said it would be a priority for him to ensure Space Force is able to counter strategic competitors. Because, he says, adversaries are aggressively trying to dominate space and putting U.S. interests at risk. If confirmed, Saltzman will serve as the second chief of space operations. 
Saltzman added that he's confident in U.S. military dominance, but couldn't give specifics given the hearing's public nature. Starbucks is coming out with an ambitious new plan to open the equivalent of a new store every nine hours for the next three years in China. Let's take a closer look. Starbucks said Tuesday it plans to have about 9,000 stores in China by 2025. That's a 56% increase, meaning the coffee chain would have to open one new store every nine hours for the next three years. This year's goal is 6,000 new stores. The announcement comes as Shanghai emerges from a week's-long lockdown. The financial hub is home to the most Starbucks stores of any city in the world. During peak of its lockdown, around 900 Starbucks stores temporarily closed their doors. Starbucks opened its first China store in Beijing in early 1999 and grew rapidly in the Chinese market. In just 10 years, China became the number two country globally for Starbucks locations, second only to the U.S. A tragedy surrounding China's strict COVID-19 policy. In China, a bus reportedly transporting 47 people to quarantine in the southwest crashed before dawn Sunday morning. The accident killed at least 27 and injured 20 others. Here's the latest. Local officials said the bus overturned on an expressway in Guizhou province. The injured were taken to hospital for treatment. Officials say that in the bus, there were people who had close contact with others who tested positive for COVID. Although they reportedly tested negative themselves, they were taken from Guiyang, the provincial capital, to a remote county about 125 miles southeast. China has maintained a strict zero-COVID policy that isolates infected people and those who are considered in close contact. However, these people do not necessarily test positive themselves. A solution commonly used by local authorities is to bus entire buildings or communities of residents out of the city to quarantine elsewhere. So far, officials have reported that nearly 10,000 people have been transferred. Many of them have reportedly been treated inhumanely. A resident from nearby the scene of the accident told us that right now, many locals are refusing to cooperate with authorities. We distorted her voice to protect her identity. We saw some other neighborhood leadership asking people to be transferred to other places for quarantine, but none of the residents did it. Why? Because people here are no longer cooperating. Everyone only has one life. Lee blamed the authorities for excessive COVID-19-related restrictions. We all are on a bus with nowhere to escape. The virus could be everywhere. An outbreak may occur anywhere, which means that anyone may be pulled away. If such excessive pandemic provision is not stopped, we won't ever be able to get off the bus. She said residents are still being required to get tested daily, and most are confined to their homes. Strict lockdown measures and an intense heat wave have hit China's economy hard. Auto sales declined in August compared to the month before, but still saw a drastic surge compared to a year ago. About 2.4 million cars were sold in China in August. It marks a 1.5% drop from July, as restrictions on electricity have affected automakers. On top of that, China's most intense heat wave in decades reduced customer visits to showrooms only. 
Despite the August slump, sales are still up more than 30 percent from a year ago. This, according to data from the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers, or CAAM. China has tried to revive auto demand with incentives, like a lower sales tax for small engine vehicles and subsidies to spur trade-ins of gasoline vehicles for electric ones. The sector also took a hit earlier in the year when months of lockdowns in major manufacturing hubs like Shanghai and Changchun stalled production. But more recently, more cities have imposed fresh lockdowns. That's as Beijing sticks to its zero-COVID policy, aiming to stamp out the infection. A strong earthquake shook much of Taiwan on Sunday. It toppled a three-story building and temporarily trapped four people inside. Around 400 tourists also got stranded on a mountainside. Here are the details. A passenger train was knocked off its tracks. Footage shows the collapsed Gaoliao Bridge as well as a roof collapsing on a gym. Since Saturday, dozens of quakes have rattled the island's southeastern coast. The magnitude 6.8 quake yesterday was the largest among them. Most of the damage appeared to be north of the epicenter in the town of Qishang. In a three-story building collapsed in nearby Yuli town. More than 7,000 households were reported without power in Yuli, and water pipes were also damaged. The Japan Meteorological Agency issued a tsunami advisory for several southern Japanese islands near Taiwan, but later lifted it. There were no immediate reports of serious injuries. Next, an unusual help-wanted call. Official data from China shows the country is looking to hire over 3 million cybersecurity personnel within five years. But why exactly does Beijing need them? Let's dive in. According to the latest data from the Ministry of Education, by 2027, China will have a shortage of over 3 million cybersecurity personnel. That's despite a nationwide yield of 30,000 cybersecurity graduates every year. Epoch Times columnist Wang He says the Chinese communist regime needs an army of cybersecurity workers to steal cutting-edge technology from the West. The Chinese Communist Party uses them as a strategic force. Internally, they are used to ensure their corporate network security. And externally, they are used to carry out cyber attacks, steal intelligence, etc. Back in July 2021, the U.S., EU and U.K. jointly condemned the Chinese Communist Party for the first time. That's for conducting worldwide cyber attacks. The same day, the U.S. Department of Justice charged four Chinese nationals with participating in a hacking campaign led by the Chinese Ministry of State Security. Wang called China's cybersecurity arsenal a huge threat to the world. Coming up, a look at the potential impact of depending on China for electric vehicle batteries. What can business owners do if they're struggling to balance cheap Chinese labor with maximizing profit? We hear from Pete Hoekstra, former U.S. ambassador to the Netherlands, after the break. Are countries like China benefiting from the energy crisis, while Americans pay higher prices at the pump? And why are they so high in the first place? NTD's Tiffany Meyer spoke to former U.S. Ambassador to the Netherlands, Pete Huckstra, to get his take. 
So it seems right now in America, there's a rising trend where many Americans can't really pay their energy costs. So why do you think that is? What are some of the factors contributing to that? Well, obviously, there's been a global disruption in the energy markets. And so that, number one, that's contributing to our rising costs. Number two is, you know, the Biden administration signaled from day one uh, that they were going to, you know, declare war on fossil fuels. And if you go to an industry and say, hey, we don't want any more of your stuff, uh, that industry starts to scale back its investment. And so while consumer demand has stayed high, uh, you know, there's been no increase in production because people are scaling back and investing in fossil fuels. And so, you know, you put those types of things together in a, a growing economy again, and you see higher demand for energy, not an increase in production. Higher demand, no production means what? Higher cost to consumers. That's what we're experiencing. And it seems part of the argument for this push in, say, clean or green energy is that we don't have to be reliant on bad nation states like Venezuela, Iran, Russia. But with the clean and green energy, are there no such stakes or like how is that playing out? We were energy independent uh, two, two and a half years ago. Through our own decisions, uh, we've now become energy dependent again. Uh, the the fallacy with the green is, oh, we're going to become energy independent. It's kind of like, no, excuse me, a lot of the rare earth materials, uh, the minerals and those types of things that you need for battery production uh, and other elements of the green energy uh, plan, solar energy, those things aren't produced in the United States. Number one, they need to be in the ground. And then they require intensive mining activity. Uh, so you're going back to some of the same places. You're going to countries in Africa, but you're also going back to China. Uh, and you're going to become reliant on them uh, for your green energy production. And for us to become energy independent uh, or become energy dependent on, on China is a huge mistake. We see this uh, in Europe. Europe became energy dependent on Russia, and we have chaos over there now in their energy markets and in their economy. And Ambassador, speaking of, say, Germany, for example, Germany really led in the clean and green energy initiatives and I think really shut down the oil and gas industries. And we're kind of seeing that happen in America now. So maybe what are some of the lessons we could potentially learn from Germany, especially with what we're seeing out of Russia? The bottom line that we can learn from Europe is, again, get your energy, either produce it domestically or make sure you're getting it from reliable sources, uh, not from countries that you know, don't embrace democracy, freedom, and those types of things. We call it, you know, buy from our freedom-loving uh, allies. Uh, and if you can do that, you know, there's a high probability you're going to be secure. But if you rely on Russia, Venezuela, China, and those types of things, uh, you know, you're in big trouble. We, and, you know, I, in Europe, I saw it not only, you know, on energy, which is happening today, uh, but during the pandemic, you saw that there were a lot of, you know, personal protective gear, medical supplies that they were dependent on from China. And China held a gun to their head and said, yeah, you need to do these things from a policy standpoint, or guess what? You're not going to get the medical supplies that only China can provide you. 
And Ambassador, it seems on that note, the U.S. recently passed this Inflation Reduction Act, right, which really boosts the clean or green energy sector with a lot of subsidies and incentives. So given that, how can the maybe fossil fuel industries balance that or what can be done in America? Well, it wasn't even a, a balanced approach in the Inflation Reduction Act is what they call it. It's, it was a green energy bill. Uh, I talked to one of my friends here in Michigan who's in the oil and gas business, and I said, is this bill going to help you? He said, heck no. There, there are huge tax increases on fossil fuels uh, embedded into this. So not, you know, we're not even giving fossil fuels a level playing field. What the energy uh, or the inflation Reduction Act did is it provided incentives to boost green energy and it took the fossil fuels and it imposed new taxes on fossil fuels. So we're going to see less fossil fuel production uh, in the future. And we're going to see because we're now subsidizing green energy. Uh, what you're actually going to do is when you subsidize something, you actually increase uh, the cost of that commodity. We saw that already with uh, you know some of the auto manufacturers with a wink and a nod when they saw they were getting six to seven thousand dollars subsidies per vehicle purchase they raised their vehicle prices by roughly the same amount and ambassador going back to this inflation reduction act and all the incentives for the green energy it seems a lot of that money is going to end up in china with all these different industries so what can the maybe average American do if they're seeing all these rising costs and all these new industries that aren't necessarily helping them? What can be done? Well, I think um, one of the things, you know, you're not going to have an answer overnight. One of the things that I think, uh, you know, I work with the uh, Center for Security Policy, and, and we're in the early stages of developing a program that, just, that says, just say no. You know, I, I was in a store the other day, and I, uh, a religious store. And I picked up a Bible and I kind of opened it and it's like printed in China. And then I went to the Internet and I looked at it and China print, prints about 50 million Bibles per year. Half of the total world's production of Bibles comes out of China. And they are terrible. It's kind of like, what are these people thinking? Uh, and so we're, we're going to encourage people just take a pick something up. And if it says made in China. Maybe put it down and look for something that's produced in America, that's produced in Europe, uh, you know, in one of the freedom-loving countries. But don't buy from don't buy from China, don't buy from Venezuela and these types of countries. Uh, just put it down. If you can't find an American product uh, or a substitute product, you know, let us know. We'll encourage American manufacturers to move into that sector, but don't enrich a country that some of us believe really is at war with America today, and that's China. And Ambassador, on that note, from the business perspective, right, if you're a business, you're looking to, you know, help your shareholders and keep profits down, I mean, the costs and expenses down, but boost profits. How do you balance that if all the cheap labor is in China, for example? Where would you go? I'd, I'd buy, uh, I'd build in America, I'd build in Europe, I'd build in Australia. Taiwan, you know, uh, Japan and those types of places, China cheats. If you, you know, I've worked, I was on the board for a company that, you know, we had, we use China for certain reasons, but we only use China because the products that we made were used by certain Chinese industry and they wanted production close. Uh, but we recognize that every day 
China was looking at stealing our technology uh, and eventually putting us out of business. It's a false savings going into China. You can't own your buildings, you can't own your business, and all that you can't keep your technology. Doing business in China is very, very different than doing business in the US, Canada, Mexico, or Europe. Uh, you're putting your business at risk by going into China. It may be a short-term gain, it's a long-term, it's, it's a long-term bad play. Ambassador Hoekstra, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you on the show. Hey, great to be with you again. Thank you.